0: Heavenly Father, we love your word exceedingly. But Lord, we need help as we look at your word together. So we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to help our souls so that we would keep your commands and live according to your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we conclude our series in the book of John. Um, and it's been quite a, a journey for us over the years, uh, but we're concluding, our, of course, our series that we've had even just in the last three weeks of looking at this high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a phenomenal part of scripture uh, where we hear the Lord Jesus uh, pray on the night he was betrayed uh, and he's... Praise for himself. We looked at that initially from verses uh, 1 through to verse 5. Then we looked at his prayer for his disciples, particularly the apostles, but we looked at how uh, many of the prayers that he prays there, the things that he prays for, can be applied to us today and that he continues to live to intercede for us. And today we look at from verse 20 uh, through to the end of the prayer. And he prays for all believers, not specifically for the apostles, uh, as he was before. But here he prays for those who will believe. And we see that in verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He knew that many would come to faith in Jesus Christ uh, through the message of the apostles, as the apostles preached, that many would believe. Now, what is it that the Lord Jesus prays for believers for all believers who will believe the message of the Lord Jesus Christ that comes through the apostles what does he pray for well we read in verse 21 that it is unity that he prays for but we'll pick it up at verse 20 verse 20 he says my prayer is not for them alone I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you may they also believe in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me He prays that they would have unity, that the Christians would be unified, that they would be one even as God is one. There shouldn't be divisions amongst them. And he's even given them his glory so that they would be one as he is one with God and we read that in verse 22 verse 22 I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one he's given them his glory and he continues in verse 23 speaking of the love that he shows to them I in them and you in me may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me we see in those verses again and again this idea of unity of oneness And he's given his glory, he's given his love so that these people would be united. And that's what we should see as an answer to Christ's prayer. As we're looking at Christ's prayer here today, we understand that there shouldn't be divisions in his churches. There shouldn't be divisions in the church. What does division look like? Well, it's those sins that we're so conscious of and uh, reminded of in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament of quarrelling, and fighting, and slandering, and gossiping about one another. That's what we shouldn't see. But what should we see? What's the opposite of division? What's the opposite of quarrelling, and fighting, and slandering, and gossip? Well, it's love. We should see love as God has loved us. So we should love one another. And we see that in verse 23, the idea of love there. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them. Even as you have loved me, love should be in the church, not fighting and quarreling and slandering one another. Instead, we should be seeing the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what we should be seeing in the church. That's what the Lord Jesus is praying for. He doesn't want to see the quarreling and fighting that so often goes on in this world. Now, why does Jesus pray for unity? Why does he want believers to be united rather than divided? Well, he gives it to us twice in the text. Verse 21, he's praying that they would believe in, uh, that the believers uh, who would believe in him, that the, all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. Now, why may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me? Why does Jesus pray for unity? So that the world would believe... ...in Jesus and believe that Jesus was sent by God the Father. That they would believe in God and believe in the one that he has sent. And we see this given to us in verse 23 as well. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The reason Christians should be united... ...is so that the world understands that God exists... And that God has sent his son. What's the connection between unity in the church and the world knowing about God? Well, division gives people a reason to deny Christianity as God's work. They can deny that God loves them. That's what's uh, being said there in verse 23, that they would know you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. If we are divided, what does that say about God? It says that he's not at work here. We know God is love. If we're going to see God at work, then there should be love amongst his people. If there is no love there, then we can say God is not loving them, that he's not at work amongst them. And even within God himself, we can deny the Trinity if we do not see love amongst God's people because we're meant to be one as he is one. And yet there's meant to be within the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, a mutual love and affection for one another. If his people are divided, we can have reason then to say, well, if they're meant to love as he is love in himself then maybe there isn't a trinity. Maybe there isn't Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so the world can deny the truths that are proclaimed in scripture about God himself and his love for the Son. And so there's great danger to come if God's people, those who believe in the message of the apostles, the gospel, are not united. And so the Lord Jesus prays for this so that people would know that he is sent of God and that he loves, that God loves his people And it's seen by their love for one another. There's examples in scripture, of course, of people not loving one another. And one of the greatest examples of this in the early church is, of course, the church in Corinth, the Corinthian church. It's infamous for its divisions. And I thought it would be helpful for us to look at it today together as a warning of what not to do and also a warning of what we should do. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It's found on page 1,128 if you have a church Bible. So the, uh, the Apostle Paul has visited Corinth and planted a church there, and then he is writing to the church in Corinth, who he dearly loves, and he's concerned about them. Why is he concerned about them? Well, it's because they lack the unity that... He desires that of course christ desired before even the apostle paul desired it 1128 turn with me now 1 corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 early on in the letter first part of his letter he says i appeal to you brothers in the name of our lord jesus christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought why is he writing to the church so they may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, why does he have to write this to a Christian church? Well, verse 11 tells us, my brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. There are quarrels amongst the people. There's division. People have come to him and told him that in the Corinthian church, there are divisions happening there, that there are quarrels amongst the people. Now, why is this happening? Well, the great reason for division is pride of course that people are proud about themselves and so of course they look down upon others and divide from others and we see this in the next verse verse 12 says what i mean is this one of you says i follow paul another i follow apollos another i follow cephas that's peter still another i follow christ you see this division over theological matters the church is divided over which apostle they follow and some of them say well i reject all the apostles and i follow jesus christ There's this theological division that's happening within the church. But if you read on in the letter, you see it's not just about theology, that they're divided. They're divided about a whole lot of different matters. And you look at how Paul addresses them with different chapters about them. They're proud about their sexual sin. He says, you are proud. You live in a way that even pagans look down on. But you are proud of the sexual sin that is happening in your community. There's divisions over food. There's divisions over worship and spiritual gifts of how you do worship. There were divisions happening and it's all a manifestation of pride. The human heart, love for pride. And so Paul is addressing this as he writes this letter. He knows that there's a division in this church and it should not be, that there should be one of mind. And so he writes to them and he gives them lots of counsel but one of the great illustrations that he gives them is one that we'll look at a little bit more carefully now and that is the illustration of the human body. Turn with me to page 1137, chapter 12 of of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just a few pages over. He's written about many of the different matters that they were concerned about, and then he gives this wonderful illustration to try and help them to understand how terrible it is to be divided from one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, reading from verse 12. Paul says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body." If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. This first part is very helpful in illustrating to us that we're not all the same, that there is diversity, that we're unified, but there's diversity amongst us. And we see this in Christ's body, which shows the goodness and wisdom of God. We're not all the same here. And we shouldn't want to all be the same. I shouldn't want you all to be Joel Radfords, and you shouldn't all want to be Joel Radfords. We're all very different. But that doesn't mean we reject one another either, either, because we are different. And the perfect example of this, of unity yet diversity, is, of course, in God himself. He is one. Yes. Deuteronomy tells us this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, but we also know that God is diverse in His persons. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all one, yet they are different in their personhood. And so we can't say that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are precisely the same in their personhood. Yet they are all God. It's a mystery, but it is true. The Bible proclaims its truth. And so we need to understand: yes, we are all very different. But that doesn't give us an excuse to divide from one another, as it would be so stupid of an eye to say, I'm not a hand, so therefore I do not belong to the body. It is foolishness to do that. And yet we're meant to be united, even as we recognise the diversity amongst us. And that's what he goes on to say in, from verse 21 and following. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Here we see this strong teaching coming through from the Apostle Paul with an excellent illustration for us, something that we can grasp so easily, that it would be absolute foolishness for us to reject other parts of the body because they're not like us. Know we're meant to come together and be unified, even as Christ prayed for such unity. And how does such unity come about? What's the opposite of rejection? Well, it's acceptance and love, as I said before. And the Apostle Paul knows this as well. Because what does he do in the very next chapter? After chapter 12 of giving this illustration of the body, what does he do? He defines love for us with one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. John, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Look with me now. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is what we're supposed to be like. We're supposed to be ones who love in the way that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us to love. Whereas if we develop factions and have disorders and even just cliques within the church, what are we like? We're like a hand saying to the eye, I don't need you. Or an eye saying to the hand, I don't need you. And I'm not talking here about disagreements over the gospel. Because of course, what is the Lord Jesus praying for? He, who is he praying for? He's praying for Believers. Yes, of course, we divide off from those who disagree from, uh, from us with the gospel. If they deny the cardinal truths of the teachings of scripture, then, of course, we have to say, look, you are not one of us. And we encourage them to become one of us, but we're careful to say, look, you're not one of us. But he's not talking about this, disagreements over the gospel. He's talking about people who are believers and yet developing factions and disorder with one another. And it's such foolishness. It's like the body saying, I don't need different parts of the body. But you may say this morning, oh, look, I I don't do this. I'm not actively divisive here at Dremoyne Baptist Church. But here's a question for you. Are you passively divisive here at Dremoyne Baptist Church? What's that look like? Well, do you neglect believers here? You don't actively slander or fight or quarrel with people, but you neglect them. Are there some people here you've never actually met? They're believers in Jesus Christ and you've never actually met them or chatted at any great length with them. We're not a large church. It's not that hard to get around and get to know everyone here. But is there a passive neglect in your heart for other members of the body? And I'm not talking about other people who won't make an effort to come and talk to you. Yes, that's their issue. But what about your issue? Your effort to go and talk to other believers to get to know them or is there a passive neglect in you that shows that you're really saying I don't need you like a hand saying I don't need an eye I'm quite self-sufficient on my own now I know it's hard I know it's hard to love everybody because we are all very different but that is why the Lord Jesus prayed for it he knows it's hard you think about it of all the things that Jesus could be praying for on the night when he knew he was going to be betrayed and go to the cross. He could have been praying for all kinds of things for himself. And he did pray for himself, but it's a very short prayer that he prays for himself. A lot of his prayer is for the apostles and for us, the people who would believe in him. He's concerned for their unity and so he prays for it. So it's a high priority for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it should be a high priority for us. So how do we go about cultivating unity at Dremoyne Baptist Church? How do we stop fighting with one another and slandering each other if that is something we're prone to do? And how do we pluck up the courage to stop neglecting other believers in Jesus Christ? Well, I'll give you one way. And that is to view others as God views them. To view other believers as God views them. Now, how how does God view his people? Well, he views them as very precious to him. He views them as very precious to him. How much does God love other believers? Those people that you don't talk to, those people that you slander, that you want to squash. How does he love them? Profound statement about God's love back in John chapter 17 verse 23 for believers. Come back with me to John 17. Leave 1 Corinthians. We're pretty much done there today. 1 Corinthians chapter 17. Let's get back to our text and ask the question, how much does God love other believers? Verse 23. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Even as you have loved me. Another way you could translate that is just as. It's a very common word in the Greek New Testament. It's often translated as just as. Do you get that? That almost seems blasphemous. God loves believers as much as He loves His own Son. Just as He loves the Son, He loves us. He loves those people around you who you've neglected or slandered or tried to squash, just as He loves His Son. That's a profound statement. I could do many sermons just on that. You could meditate upon that this afternoon if you want something to think about. That God loves you just as much as he loves his son. And he loves other believers just as he loves his son. If it wasn't there in scripture, we would think, this can't be true, but it's there in scripture. And we need to consider that as we think about other believers and how we don't want that unity that Jesus prays for. What has kept me from stomping on church members here over the years at Dremoyne Baptist Church? Sometimes people accuse me of being too soft on people at the church. What has kept me being a bit too soft, as some people like to call it, here at Dremoyne Baptist Church? Well, part of the reason was the charge that was given to me in my induction here at Dremoyne Baptist Church in 2009. Now, I know a lot of you weren't here so you don't have any recollection of what happened for my induction when I was installed here as a preaching elder at Des Moines Baptist Church. But there was a good pastor in Sydney who's now gone to glory, who was a friend of mine, Keith Nolt, and he ran the induction service. Uh, He was the one who uh, led the service, and he was the one who delivered to me what is usually called the pastor's charge. And so that's where one pastor charges another pastor to look after the flock that is under his care. And so they challenge them, to be a good pastor, basically. And Keith Knott, I thought, was going to do this. My friend, he was going to give me a charge. But he did something quite remarkable, and I only found out about it in the moment, up here at the front. He knew that I was a great admirer of a pastor in the States called Mark Dever, who's pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. And I had very little contact with this pastor, I'd heard him at a conference, he was part of the reason I came into the ministry, Mark Dever, and I admired him, I was listened to lots of his uh, talks online, I'd read lots of his books, I was a great admirer of this uh, pastor in the States, and Keith Nolt had written to Mark and told him that he was going to uh, be involved in my installation here at Des Moines Baptist Church, he'd told him how much he had influenced me, Mark Dever had influenced me to come into ministry. And he asked Mark if he would give me a charge and that he would read out a charge from Mark Dever to me at my installation service here at Des Moines Baptist Church. And Mark wrote back very kindly and gave uh, a little piece for Keith to share and to charge me with here at Des Moines Baptist Church. And what was it? Well, I've got the text. Keith uh, has gone to glory, but before he went, he thankfully gave me uh, the text of the charge uh, that Mark sent through, well, the email that Mark sent through. And Mark Dever wrote uh, to me on that day. He said, I pray God's blessing on you as you take up the task of pastoring the Dremoyne congregation. We know from Acts 20, verse 28, that he bought the church with his own blood, I pray that this congregation will be precious to you as you consider how your Saviour has loved them and given himself for them. Now, may you be a faithful shepherd of the flock, relying on God's spirit and his word to promote his glory in this place, your brother, Mark Dever. So why don't I take a hammer more often to the members of Des Moines Baptist Church? why don't I neglect some members here who I think probably slow me down. It's no use catching up with them, spending time with them. It's because I remember that they were bought with Christ's blood. That charge was given to me. Remember, these people under your care are exceedingly precious to God. He bought them with his own blood. You be very careful How you deal with the people of this church. The Father and Son and Holy Spirit love each member of this church. Each of the believers here, they love them dearly. And so, who am I to harm or neglect a child of God in this place? Do you want to know something of God's reaction when you go up and slap someone else at this church? When you slap one of His people? when you want to fight with someone here? Do you want to know what something of God's reaction would be if he loves the people that belong to him? Think about what would happen if you're out in public and a married couple's there and the wife treads on your toe and you slap her in the face. Now, what would the husband do? What would the husband do? Yes, she trod trot on your toe... But do you have any right to slap her in the face back? What would the husband do? Now consider that before you go up to rebuke or to take a hammer to another child of God in this place. Think that they belong to God and that he loves them dearly. And will he take it kindly if you slap that person? Yes, they may have trodden on your toe. Yes, they may have. But do you have the right to rebuke them Maybe you do, but I'd watch your steps pretty carefully before you start fighting with someone at this church. So we need to cultivate unity in this church. How? Well, one big reason is by the love of God, remembering the love of God, remembering how precious each and every member, every member of the church is even if they may simply be a hair or a toenail in their eyes, they're still very precious to God. Now, why are we focusing on unity again this morning? Why is it so important? Well, I told you at the beginning, unity reveals God to the world. That's what we saw in verse 23. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me disunity here at Dremoyne Baptist Church or at any church it damages our witness and it dishonors God the God of unity it damages our witness and dishonors our God do we want others to have the joy that we have of eternal life do we want others to believe in Christ Jesus as we believe in Christ Jesus Well, start loving your brothers and sisters and increasing in your love for your brothers and sisters. And if it shows the world that we are one with God by the love that we have for one another, it can be a wake-up call for us too. It can be a wake-up call for us too. How? Well, if we see in ourselves that there's a lack of love for others at the church... It can be a wake-up call for us as to whether we are actually saved. It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul actually tells the believers there, uh, chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. He actually encourages them to examine themselves to see if they are in the faith. Why? Why? Well, part of the reason has to be all the divisions that are happening within that church. He had to write two letters to them, encouraging them to love one another. And so he warns them, if you can't get this right, maybe you're not in the faith. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. If you are always judging your brothers and sisters and being critical and your behaviour is one of hostility to members at Dremoyne Baptist Church, it should scare you. Do you see the opposite of love towards God's people? You are impatient, you're unkind, you're envious, you're boastful, you're proud, you're rude, you're self seeking, you're easily angered, and you love to keep records of wrongs. Do you see the opposite of love in you? You say, Oh, but I have knowledge. I have great knowledge. But what does Paul say in his letter to the Corinthians? You are nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You think you're so clever? You know the scriptures so well? If you do not have love, you are nothing. It's a stern warning that the Apostle Paul gives us. It's a warning to the world, yes, if the love is not here, but it's also a warning to us. If you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, what does that mean? You don't have the Spirit. If you're not connected to Christ's body, what does that mean? You're not connected to Christ. If you're not connected to his body, you're not connected to Christ. You're not not connected to the head. And what does it mean if you're not connected to Christ? No glory for you. No love for you from God. That's what we read in this text. That God gives his glory to his people. God gives his love to his people. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. He wants his people to see his glory. But if you're not his people... You don't get his glory and you don't get his love. Verse 26, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. These are great precious promises of scripture, but they're only for his people. If you don't have the fruit of the spirit, you don't have the spirit. If you're not connected with the body, then you're not part of Christ's body. Do you want to know if you're a Christian? One way to tell, and the Apostle John is very good on this, I mean, of course, he's recorded it here in John chapter 17, but one John as well. One way to know is, do you love brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you want to know if a drip, a drop, is a drop of water or a drop of oil? You've got it in a dropper. You want to know whether it's a drop of oil in your dropper or is it a drop of water? How can you know? One way is you drop that drip. Drip, drop. If you drop that, if you drip that drop, that's right. If you drip that drop next to another drop of water, what does it do? Combines. If it's a drop of oil, what will it do? It repels. Do you want to know if you're a Christian? Go up to another Christian and see what happens. Do you feel love for that person? Or do you repel from that person? It's a strong warning. If you repel from a believer, then are you a believer? Now, this morning, if you see that there's active hostility in your heart towards other believers, or simply passive neglect for other believers, what should you do? Confess your sin. Confess your sin, your lack of love, and trust in Christ's blood. Be united to Christ by faith. We're not united to Christ by working harder at loving other believers, at loving God's people. That's not how you get united to Christ. It's by faith, by trusting that he died for all your sin, including the lack of love that you've shown your fellow man and the lack of love you've shown his church. And don't be too proud this morning to admit that you may may never have been converted All this time you've been thinking you're converted, but now that you look at your life and you look at other Christians and the response that you make towards those other Christians, you come to this funny feeling that maybe I'm not converted at all. Don't be too proud to then humble yourself and say to God, I'm not sure I ever believed before, but I believe now. I trust you now. And help me to love other believers. Children, now, do this, even while you're young. See the hostility that you show to others and see that as a sign of unbelief. And come before God and confess your sin now. Ask for his help to forgive your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then what should you do? Pray. Pray for the Spirit to give you love, that you'd love the hands... And that the hands would love you even if you feel like a toenail. It's a priority for our prayers to pray for unity. Why? Because Jesus saw it as a priority. Just before he leaves the world, just before he goes to the cross, he's in great spiritual agony, he's concerned to pray for unity. So we should be concerned to pray for unity too. And then let's work at a greater level of love and unity at this church. How? By thinking of other believers as precious thinking of other believers the way God thinks of them, as precious, so precious he would buy them by his own blood. And if we do see the fruit of the Spirit at work in our life, what should we do? We should thank Christ for his prayer and the Spirit's strength to love others. Because if it was up to us, it'd only be hatred and contempt that we would show to others in this church. That's the real reason I'm still the preaching elder here at Des Moines Baptist Church. Yes, that charge was used by God to be, set me on a trajectory, I think, here at ch- the church, to consider every member here to be exceedingly precious. But what's the real reason? Christ prayed for me many years ago, and he still prays for me, that I would love the people here, that I'd be united with them. And when you see a unity in your heart towards the people here, thank Christ for his prayer. And then what should we do? We should delight in the witness to our doubts that Christ is from God and he's at work in our hearts. It's a witness to the world that Christ is from God. But let's face it, we as Christians, we struggle with unbelief, we struggle with doubts. But when we see love between Christians and when we see love in our heart for other Christians, it pushes back against the doubt. It pushes back against the unbelief because we know how hard our hearts are. And it has to be a work of God if I love the people here. Because there's so many reasons for me to divide from them. It has to be that God has sent His Son, and His Son is at work in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And then, what should you do? I've said we should confess our sins. If we see a lack of love, that we should pray for the Spirit. To give us love for others and that they would love us that we should work a greater love and unity we should thank god for the love and unity that we do see say that we should delight number five in the witness to our doubts and then finally number six we should look forward to god using our love to draw people from the world to himself so remember that's what jesus was saying why do i pray for this it's so that the world would know The world is a horribly dysfunctional, divisive place. You look at it even now in our age, and there are community groups that band together to be hostile to another part of the population. And then even in that community group, there's infighting, there's factions, there's cancelling of one another as not progressive enough. That's what the culture, that's what the world does. And so many of them are crying out, I want to see love in this world. And when they see a church loving one another, it's an attraction to them. They say there's something going on in that place. Maybe there is a God and maybe he did send his son and maybe he is at work in that place. And so when we see love in the church here, we should be looking forward to people of the world coming in and joining with us, coming out of the world and coming into the kingdom of God. We should have that expectation as we see the love of the people here. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we praise you as a God who is three in one. Oh Lord, what a mystery for us to consider that you are one and yet you are three. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to delve into this mystery and then also consider the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ so many years ago for our unity today. Oh, Lord, we confess that often we do not show the love to one another that we should. We do not exercise the fruit of the Spirit as we should. But, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see each other as you see us as so precious in your eyes, so precious that you would send your only son and so precious to the Lord Jesus that he would give his blood for us. And so, Lord, we pray that as we cultivate such a love in our hearts, that we would love one another deeply from the heart, that we would not slander and quarrel and fight with one another. We would not neglect one another, but that we would delight in each other. And, Lord, we pray that as this happens, that many in the world would notice our unity and be converted by the love of Christ shown in this place. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.